welcome back to the To the Heights podcast, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Olivia Colombo, and I am a young Catholic changemaker, journalist, and soon-to-be social worker. And I am on this journey of sharing stories of people who are reaching to the heights in terms of social justice and making sustainable changes in this world. This season, which we're calling Hope and Humanity, we're focusing on people and organizations, secular or religious, who are social justice-oriented and have creative solutions to the many problems that our world is facing. Today, I am sharing a wonderful conversation with Leah Jacobson, co-hosted with my dear friend, Ava Kelly. Ava is a religious ed coordinator at a local parish collaborative. She's a college student, and we have quite literally traveled the world together. We grew up in the same life team program. Ava is helping me co-host this episode because of her passion of holistic health care, which introducing Leah Jacobson now. Um, Leah is the founder of the Guiding Star Project, a holistic women's healthcare organization. Ava and I stumbled upon Guiding Star at SLS, this year's focus conference in January, and we fell in love with them as an organization. We spent so much time at their booth. They're all about recognizing true value of the female body, destigmatizing what our culture has shamed, and embracing the wholeness of women and their feminine genius, mind, body, and soul. They have several healthcare centers across the country. They do tons of trainings, even for very young girls. And overall, they foster a really important discussion in both secular and faithful contexts of how our bodies are incredible, and we need to work with them and understand and value their dignity, our dignity as women. We talked about the overuse of birth control in modern medicine, how Leah used to live in Father Mike Schmitz's house before it was Father Mike Schmitz's house. Um, And we talk about how as young people, we can have less shame and fear around the topic of women's health care. So here is Leah's story of reaching to the heights. So we are here with a very exciting guest today, and we have a co-host today too, um, Ava Kelly. Where should we get started? Would we, Ava, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? And then Leah, you can introduce yourself. So hi, I'm Ava. I am 19 and I am currently a sophomore in college. I work at St. Joseph's Parish and St. Thomas Parish. So they're a Catholic collaborative in Medway and Millis. And I'm the religious education coordinator there. Yes. Awesome. What about you, Leah? Um, Well, I'm a little older. (laughs) I'm like twice your age, Ava. (laughs) But I'm very young at heart. Um, And I am a mom in central Minnesota. I've got seven kids. I've been married to my husband, Josh, for 17 years. And I work in women's healthcare. I'm a board-certified lactation consultant. And I'm the founder and the CEO of the Guiding Star Project. But... My past was actually in diocesan work um, at the parish level, but it was actually campus ministry. So I ran the campus ministry at the University of Minnesota Duluth with my husband for the first three years of our marriage. That is so cool. That is yeah, it's fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we all kind of met in different directions at the SLS Focus Conference in January, um, which was super fun. And we got to record an episode with Father Cassidy Stinson and that super cool retro van podcast recording studio. And Leah was actually recording an episode after us on a different show. Um, So that's how we connected. 
But today I want to talk about um, kind of the story of Guiding Star Project, which Leah, you can tell us all about what that is, um, how you got involved, how it came about. Um, I want to know now how you came from working kind mm-hmm. of parish diocesan into this movement. And then Ava and I, as two young women, um, kind of battling this not culture of life, want to talk about um, how do we build a culture of life? What do we need to be aware of? What like lies is our culture feeding us? Um, and how do we combat all of those? Sound good? I am so looking forward to this conversation because this is my favorite stuff to talk about. Um, so I'm hoping that what I've gone through in the past, you know, 15 years can kind of help you guys to see what's coming. Like hopefully for you to be able to use your gifts and talents in the mm-hmm. service of the church and in um, the name of building up a culture of life. Uh, Guiding Star, it came out of my working campus ministry directly. Like I said, we, my husband, Josh and I, um, the Newman house at the university of Minnesota Duluth is located right in the center of campus. It's got student housing kind of all around it. Um, Father Mike Schmitz lives there now. Mm-hmm. My husband Josh and I started there. Uh, the first, I was a student there and he was a student as well. And I graduated early. I graduated when I was uh, 21 years old. And I asked the bishop, the diocese at that time, there was an older priest living in the home and it was close to the students. And I asked him, I said, would you ever consider hiring a young couple to take over campus ministry? And shockingly, I don't know why, but he said, yes. And so he allowed us to move in there right after we got married, newly 22 years old, fresh 22 year olds moved in and began running that campus ministry program. And it was the most fun ever. So if you guys have worked in focus or, you know, focus missionaries, it's like focus. But when you have like, you're actually at the house, like it was just like focus on steroids for us as a married couple with students in and out of our house, like all hours of the day and night. It was so amazing. We got permission to have the blessed sacrament moved into the homes. We had adoration going on like all the time. We had just the creativity and like the excitement and the energy that was coming from this, this experience was just fabulous. And I was working with a lot of young women at that time, um, just, you know, unknowing their dignity and their theology of the body, their worth. And at the same time I, I got pregnant and I became a new mother. And so it was that, it was that collision of me for the first time really understanding the the capacity of the female body and fertility and the beauty of you know the sexual relationship between a man and a woman when it's in balance and when it's open to life and really understanding it and seeing it in front of me that I could see what I didn't know as a college student and I could see very clearly that most of the young women around me didn't have an understanding of yet and had honestly a lot of fear and it wasn't just a lack of understanding it was it was subconsciously accepting um, some really huge lies about the female body, about sex, about marriage. And so I kind of became this quest as a campus minister and a young mom to normalize, you know, the natural healthy processes of a woman's body. And so I remember being on campus and breastfeeding my baby and I was modest. I wasn't, you know, sitting out there in front of everybody, but the looks and the discomfort that I could just see on the faces of every student that walked by, they were so uncomfortable with this idea of a baby breastfeeding. Um, And some of the comments even that I got from professors uh, and from staff. Um, So as my baby got a little bit bigger and he started walking, we had mass on the third floor of the student union. And there was a staircase that was open all the way down three stair, three stories and the slats. So my baby is just toddling around and the slats between the railings were about, I don't know, a foot apart. 
like a baby could walk right through them, like to his death. And so every, every week when we had mass, we always had a group of students like preventing the baby from dying because the baby wanted to die. <laughs> I met with campus administration. I just met with the building people. I said, hey, I, I don't think this is up to code. And I just, I brought it very gently. And the response that I had, I'll never forget this to, to my dying day. I'll never forget this. They said, babies don't belong on college campuses. Mm. And it struck me like just so hard. And it was just so clear that it was that education and children are not supposed to mix. And that made me really mad and it really propelled me forward. And so Guiding Star was kind of born from those experiences on a college campus as a young mother and working with other young women and just trying to help them get over the lies that they believed because they didn't trust their bodies. They didn't trust their fertility. They didn't think it was a good thing. They thought it was a barrier to their success. And we have to change that culturally. We have to change that if we're going to build up a culture of life. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. That's, that's a lot. And like, I don't know, I can only imagine how many pregnant and parenting like students, like that's, that's just not the culture we want at all. Um, no. no. So how did you, yeah, no, interesting. I'll say like, so I started to kind of get active then to figure out how to make this campus more uh, baby friendly, mother friendly. Um, and I found some, uh, the, the group Feminists for Life, mm-hmm. they're a fabulous group and they do something called like a campus symposium and they'll come to your campus and they'll look at all your resources and they'll look at everything and see how it's supporting pregnant and parenting students. And so we had Feminists for Life come to our campus and they engaged the Women's Resource and Action Center, which is out of the Women's Studies program, which is traditionally very pro-choice. They engaged them in conversation and it was very effective dialogue. And so they were able to say, you know, women, you know, as feminists, we believe that women should have the right to education. You have single mothers on your campus. How can we help them? Um, And some of the things that came out of those dialogues actually were um, we were able to get lactation rooms set up on Mm -hmm. campus for women. And that was a partnership with kind of the other side. And that was also a very influential moment for me to recognize that there are things that we can agree with all women on. Almost almost every woman out there can agree that we should have a right to breastfeed our baby if we want to. And that we should have a right you know, to a positive and empowering birth experience. And if we can start from those points of connection and agreement, we can make real progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We actually had Feminists for Life come to um, Boston College last fall and spring. We had Kristen Hawkins come and speak in the fall. And then I did social media for them at the time. And then in the spring, they came and did the symposium with all different campus leaders. We partnered with the pro-choice group on campus. Um, Unfortunately, we haven't seen the effects of the symposium yet because it actually happened the night that they announced that we were moving home because of COVID. So it all got messed up, but That makes it a little difficult. Yeah. And one of the Mm -hmm. other things, and um, I will say they did put up plexiglass as well through those slats on the stairwells because that mm. came to the point I said babies are a danger on this campus like yes. babies can't even walk on this campus without dying um, and they also put diaper decks in not mm. only men's bathrooms but the men's bathrooms which was a really nice nod to that complementarity of fatherhood that there are really great men that are fathers that may be pursuing higher education as well mm-hmm. I love that um all right. So how did, how did that, your experience <laughs> in campus ministry, how did that 
happen and turn into guiding star? What did that process look like? Um, yeah, gosh, you guys, honestly, it's one of those things where if you are just be, don't be careful. Don't be careful. Be reckless with your abandon, like with your willingness to say yes to God. But I can just tell you that honestly, what it was, was me just saying, God, please use me. Because when I left campus ministry, I had two little babies. I had two little boys that were three and under at the point where we moved out of the Newman house and father Mike moved in. And it, for, you know, for about maybe six months there, I felt kind of like, I don't know what's next. I don't know how you want to use me the culture around me, everyone is telling me like, you're a young mom, like you're kind of can't really do anything now. <laughs> like your life is kind of over, <laughs> enjoy dishes <laughs> and Paw Patrol. Um, and so I was getting that kind of pressure feeling like I didn't have anything to give, but yet I knew like, there's just this deep burning within me from my previous years working with these women. And so I went to adoration one night and I thought what I thought I was going to be doing, I thought I was going to go back to school to become a nurse midwife. I thought, you know, I have this great passion for the pro-life cause and I want to help women that want to have empowering births. And so I'm going to go back to nursing school. And I even had already implied, I was already accepted. And I finally went to adoration three weeks before classes were supposed to start. And I told God my grand plan. I said, aren't you so happy, God? I'm going to do this thing for you. Um, and that's the only time I've ever heard an audible response in prayer was in the adoration chapel uh, in Duluth, Minnesota. And the only word God has ever said to me was no. I, I audibly heard the word no. I was alone in the chapel. I turned and I looked and I kind of jumped and that really stopped my heart for a second. And it was kind of confusing, but then I immediately understood that it was not no, that I had nothing to do, but it was just not this. And so then I just said, okay, Lord, then what? And I just really opened myself up to whatever he was trying to give me and um, in prayer that night and in my prayer journal, I sat there for about three hours and I journaled out just kind of this vision of a women's center. I was like, what do the women here need? What do these girls on this campus need to know their dignity and worth? What do young moms need? What do older moms that are overwhelmed with five kids need? What do women need to know that they are good? Um, and Guiding Star was born in that moment. And I didn't know what it was going to be at that time. I thought it was going to be, you know, one local center in one city in this country. I didn't realize that God had this bigger plan for it. He's gracious like that. Because if he had said, we're going to do this all over the country, I would have been like, I'm out. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but it slowly grew and it's just been growing ever since then. And I've become, I've come to see through that openness to God that he really only ever tells me the next two steps maybe I can always see as far as I can see. And then when I get there, I can see as far as I can see again, you know, I can't see the yeah. whole thing. Um, and I think that's been a mercy that he's granted because mm -hmm. it would be incredibly overwhelming otherwise. True. Very true. And so easy to back out if you saw the grandness of the plan and think that you're not worthy for it at all. <sighs> exactly. That has been probably one of the biggest roadblocks and, you know, talking with young women like you, like that's just something that, want to um, emphasize over and over again is that sometimes we can really get caught up in a in a false humility like a who am I to do this who am I like, who do I think I am like we sometimes stop ourselves because we're afraid of what others might think or what we even think of ourselves. we're like I'm not worthy I'm, I'm just a you know I'm just a sinner I'm just this like I can't do these things um, but really that's a great insult to God is he gave you the exact gifts and talents and skills that you have uniquely. 
And that really, I really didn't understand that until my, my thirties. I didn't, even through my twenties, I was still kind of like hesitantly like, well, yeah, shouldn't women have this? And I was putting the vision of Guiding Star out there, but I didn't believe enough in myself to lead it, to put the infrastructure in place properly. And so it was when I actually took those steps of saying, no, God, actually, if I don't do it, no one will. Like I am the one that he has asked to do this particular thing. And if I don't do it, it won't happen. And when I finally just accepted that and embraced it, um, it was so much fun then. Like yeah. before that, it was like drudgery. I hated it. I was like, I don't want to do this. It's embarrassing. I don't want to speak. I don't, because people would ask me to come speak and I'd be like, oh, I don't really want to say anything. But um, it was kind of that Catherine of Siena quote, you know, be who God meant you to be and you'll mm-hmm. light the on fire. And I was thinking about like, had she not stepped out and been vocal and been brave, like the church would not look like it looks today. Like it was her, it was particularly her that had to do that thing. And so we as young women in the church, we have to recognize that we are called sometimes to do very hard things that are outside our comfort zone and are outside the norm. Um, But God will equip us. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So beautiful. Um, Eva, do you want to, kind of talk about or ask about the culture of life and death and how that has, I don't know, infiltrated and um, shaped this project. Yeah. So, sorry, how did you become like so passionate about holistic women's health? So how, and how is holistic women's health different than the way that our society kind of views women's health? That is such a good question. So in the middle of this process, so when I found out I wasn't supposed to go back for to be a nurse midwife, I still had this kind of like call though within me, like I was really interested in helping women. And so when I, I think I was pregnant with my third child or fourth, I don't remember, someplace in there. I have seven now, it kind of gets confusing. <laughs> someplace in there, I decided I do still want to do higher education, specifically in the field of women's health care, because so much of the field right now is synonymous with um, abortion and contraception rights. Like just women's health is just like abortion and contraception. I was like, no, that's not true. Like full healthy life for a woman should not depend upon either of those things. And so I did go back and did my master's degree in health and wellness with a specialty in lactation consulting. So breastfeeding. And when I was writing my master's thesis, it started to dawn on me this idea of holism, like whole with a W, you know, complete, whole, integrated, that, you know, we have many arenas of our life as women, you know, socially, academically, career-wise, relationally, we've got kind of all these areas of our life. um, And we always just kind of lump physical body, like, you know, mind, body, spirit. And we kind of just say, well, your body has to be whole. But then I started to really look at that and say, what does it mean though for a woman's body to be whole in this culture? And I I really got kind of obsessed with this, like, okay, what's the difference, the biological, physical difference between a man's body and a woman's body? It's editing, Olivia, interrupting here, as is quite common with COVID and the working from home life. Um, we encountered some connection issues that interrupted our conversation. So we'll pick it up where we reconnected with some Wi-Fi in a moment. But this is a perfect opportunity to share with you our sponsor for this episode, Monk Manual. The Monk Manual is a system of being and doing. It's a quarterly plan... It's a quarterly planner... 
The Monk Manual is a system of being and doing. It's a quarterly planner inspired by monks and designed to help you live a fuller life by combining the best practices in psychology, productivity, and spiritual growth. The Monk Manual provides a daily system upon which you can build an intentional daily life. I have really, really been wanting to try one of these, um, and I'm really excited to. As the holidays are coming up, we have a 10% off discount code for listeners. The code is HEIGHTS, H-E-I-G-H-T-S. That's how you spell heights. Um, I definitely could use some more grounded methods of being and not doing and reminding myself that I am indeed a human being, not a human doing. So I'm excited to give it a try. Again, you can get 10% off on monkmanual.com by using the code heights. Uh, Okay. Yes. So as I was doing my master's degree work and my final thesis, um, I started to write and think a lot about just that idea of holism of like, as a woman, what does it mean to be whole? And we always focus on, you know, the mind, the body, and the spirit, that those three things have to be integrated in order for us to be whole. But we don't look uniquely at a woman's body as what is a whole woman's body, a natural woman's body that's whole. We'll say like, oh, well, you just, you know, you have to be content and love your body and that, but that's really just generic. And it's really not fair that we don't dig deeper into that for the sake of our our girls. Because the honest truth was that I was working with these girls in campus ministry who were very faithful and they had a beautiful mind and a beautiful spirit. But when it came to their body, it was very incomplete because they didn't have the education or the awareness or the understanding of their own fertility. They couldn't tell you when they ovulated. They couldn't even tell you, you know, that if, um, something was really abnormal. They weren't tracking or keeping track of their body. They didn't know their body. Um, and so I started to really try to figure out what are the three kind of, well, what are the unique functions from a man's body and a woman's body, the things that only our bodies can do. And, um, I realized that we, we can ovulate, we can gestate and we can lactate. And men's bodies should never do those things um, unless there is a serious disease present. They should not be lactating. Um, They can't ovulate. They don't even have the parts. And of course, they can't gestate because that's growing a human being. And so we have these three unique kind of superpowers as women. And this is not like a religious truth. This is a basic biological principle. This is the biology of a woman. This is what you are. As a woman, if you're healthy and your body is optimized and everything goes as it was created to, you will ovulate and gestate and lactate um, in response to sexual activity. (laughs) Um, And so I wrote my master's thesis on that and it really began to crystallize that our idea of holism and holistic health has fallen incredibly short unless it is acknowledging that you should never suppress or alter or destroy any of those functions of a woman's body. And if you are, that's not holism. You've just divided somebody up and said, part of you is okay, but part of you is not. And subconsciously what that does to us is your mind can't actually be fully healthy when you're doing that because you're creating kind of this dichotomy, um, this subconscious feeling that, well, I don't quite work right. And as a consultant, I can tell you, I have seen this dozens of times when I'm working with a mom who just gave birth, she's newly postpartum. Um, she'll say something to me. I'll come in, you know, how did your, how'd your labor, your delivery go? And, Oh, it was terrible. And I say, okay, well, let's get going. How's breastfeeding going? And she'll say, well, I don't think I'm, it's not going to probably work out. I'm probably not going to make any milk. 
and just this immediate self-defeating idea that my body doesn't work. I don't trust it. I don't think it's going to work. Um, and when you start to dig back and go further back, you know, chances are good that way back 10, 15 years ago, um, her cycles were probably messed up. They probably were inconsistent. And so they said, well, let's regulate your cycle. Let's put you on this pill to do that. So then she started birth control. And then she decided that she gets married and she wants to get pregnant. She comes off birth control. Well, her body won't get pregnant then because of the effects of the birth control. So then it takes her three years to get pregnant. So she's thinking, well, my body's not working very well. I can't even get pregnant. Then she has a pregnancy, which, you know, they happen to be hard sometimes. It might've been difficult. Um, maybe labor and delivery didn't start when it was supposed to. And so maybe she was induced. Maybe her labor was augmented. Maybe she ended up with, with an epidural and then she pushed for 14 hours and it didn't go anywhere. And so then she had an emergency C-section. And then she felt like, I can't even give birth right. And so by the time it comes to breastfeeding, they're convinced I, my body just doesn't work. God didn't know what he was doing. It doesn't work. And so this is deeply, deeply ingrained wounds that women have, that our society is inflicting on women through healthcare. It's through our doctors, it's through the delivery of healthcare that we are telling women that their bodies don't work. And when you don't think your body works and you don't see it as this incredibly sacred process, it's very easy to extend that then to the baby, to the to baby that you're growing, that it's just, it's, I'm not special. Why is this thing special, you know? Mm -hmm you don't extend that same dignity that you, you don't dignify yourself. Why would you dignify the life within you? It's sad. It's yeah. really sad. Truly. Yeah. And so you were mentioning how we are told lies about the female body and we are told that we have to regulate um, all these things about ourselves where it's actually just causing damage because we're putting things in our bodies that aren't supposed to be there. Um, or are not natural, like progesterone versus progesterone. Um, so what lies have you encountered from the beginning of those stages? So what starts um, women to start questioning their body and then just lean into all of those things? Well, I think, you know, what I mentioned right away there is right when we're starting um, to menstruate, I mean, most girls are getting sort of mixed messages about that. Like, um, depending on how good your sex education or your puberty education was, I think some of the very first lies are dropped on us very young, you know, nine, 10 years old. Um, we're, we're being told, you know, we're not understanding it. We're being told things about like our, our cycle is embarrassing or menstruation. It's this thing you really need to hide. It's something we need to be super um, ashamed of in many ways. Like heaven forbid anyone knows you have your period. Um, yeah. And that is creating, it's, it's contributing to this culture of shame. It's contributing to this culture of like, hide myself, hide my true needs. Um, so I think those very first lies start there. And then it goes, I think that first encounter with healthcare, with the first exam that a girl has is probably where the biggest, most authoritative lies, because that's the thing, lies spoken by your peers and lies spoken mm -hmm. by culture, you can sometimes fend them off. But when you have an authority figure or a doctor telling you, well, you're 12, you know, and you had your first period last year when you were 11 and you haven't had another period in the last, you know, 10 months, your periods are irregular. Let's get you on the pill. That right there, medically speaking is negligent because that's normal. That's normal for our cycles to, you know, be very sporadic in the first four to five years as a young woman, you know, 
but we seem to have these impossible, like almost uneducated standards of what is the norm for a girl's body because we've just adopted, we've had a whole generation of women who have just regulated, you know, they've just regulated their hormones. Um, they're not regulating anything. They're creating a false cycle completely. Um, your body thinks it's pregnant. If you're taking oral contraception, your body thinks it's pregnant. That's why it's not ovulating. You're not having a period. You're having a withdrawal bleed. Um, so that's a really interesting one for me that when I started working with college age women, many of these girls had been on birth control for four to five years. The average age for uh, contraception is 16, that most girls start contraception by age 16. By the time they get to college, you know, they're three to four years into it. And we would, I would say something like, do you track your cycles? Like, do you track your fertility? And they'd say, yeah, I absolutely track my fertility. And they're like, I'm going to get my period on this day. Um, and then I come to find out they're on birth control. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not tracking anything. There's nothing to track. You don't have a natural cycle. Um, and so it, it's, it's a lie for them to think that they're cycling. That's a lie. You're not cycling. Um, and it's a hard one to break through for whatever reason. Women don't want to accept that that's the truth, but that is. You, you don't have a natural cycle if you're on contraception. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think about how like there are so many like perfectionist standards mm -hmm. for women in society in general, like across the board. And like, it's as if we come up with another like deeply embedded entrenched standard that like you must like get your period once a month for X amount of days. Like this is the standard. And like, just like every other like beauty standard, like here is a way that we are going to pitch and sell to you to fix it. And even You're the so control. right. Sorry, Ava, go ahead. Even the control of our society, like we are so controlling of everything that happens around us. We have to have everything planned out. We have to have everything perfect, everything Instagram worthy, everything in check so that everyone knows that, yeah, I'm in control. I have control over my life. I have control over everything. So why shouldn't I have quote unquote control over my own body? And you guys are going to see this far beyond fertility. So that's where I began to really see it is like, we're, we're obsessed with control, but it goes right into pregnancy as well. Like there are really set standards of this is the norm for a pregnancy. Like it should not go longer than 40 weeks. Like this is the end of it. Like um, at this point you must have your, um, you must, you know, augment it. You have to induce it. Um, it goes into every natural function of our body that if we were off in the woods by ourselves and it just did its thing on its own, every one of those natural things are really standardized and really this is how it should perform. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily looking at the actual experience of women's bodies and how they naturally would want to do it on their own. It's not trusting them. It's not trusting women's bodies. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I have a question. It's more like a half-formed thought. Um, Go but, for it. So in the Catholic realm, like, I feel like there's a little bit of, so on one side, there's like a holier than thou, like we're Catholic, like natural, like, I don't know, NFP, like we're, we're, I don't know, we don't associate with the, the culture of death in the rest of the world. But then at the same time, like, I feel like in young women, and I know Ava will agree, like there's so much fear instilled in us of our own bodies that like I don't know we just like we don't fear and just ignorance but ignorance that is not 
that we're not culpable for, that we've been trained to have, Mm -hmm. that it's like an outlandish topic. We don't know anything about it and we're just afraid of it. Um, So what would you, what advice would you give to young women about kind of combating that fear? How do we get over that hump? It's, it is so hard, you guys, because I can see, I mean, it's the, it's the response to a culture that swung so far, you know, Mm -hmm. like sexual revolution and it was free love and like have sex with whoever and like your body is so much fun. And so there was a lie that went too far this way. And so it's like the counter of it right now. Like we've come so far back that it's like, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. But here's the thing with every lie, it's based upon some element of truth. There was something that was true about that. And the truth piece in it that resonated and the reason people bought the lie and, you know, embraced that free love idea is that your body is good. Your body is beautiful. Your body is supposed to be enjoyed. Sex is a beautiful thing. It just took it outside of all the boundaries. It took it outside of all of the the protections because unprotected and like just out there in the world, sex can be very hurtful. It can be very wounding. Um, And our bodies too, like how we use our bodies outside of those guidelines and those like gentle parameters that the church gives us. And here's the thing, we have to understand they are gentle parameters. Like it is, it is giving it to us in love and in charity and just in mercy. The church is saying, you have free will. You have free will to use your body however you want. However, it's going to hurt you if you use it in this way or in this way. That's going to hurt you ultimately. So please don't do that. But our church is never going to say, okay, well, you had sex outside of marriage. You're out. You're done. That's not how it works. The church says, okay, did we learn a lesson? Did we, was that not good? Come back, come to confession, come back. Like we, you've learned this now. We still love you, of course. And in God's infinite love in like understanding of what we need to truly like internalize a lesson, he may have even given the gift of an unplanned pregnancy. And people need to start to understand that and see that, that when a baby is conceived outside of marriage, that is one of God's most merciful things that he can do for us because it awakens us to the reality of who we are and how we are using our body and that God needs us to like step up and correct our patterns, like correct our life. Like I've seen more, I, I dozens, I've seen dozens of young women who have unexpectedly become pregnant outside of marriage, who that baby was the thing that saved their life. It is a thing that corrected their pattern. It put them on track. They now have purpose. They now have drive. They've made amazing lives for themselves and their families. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And it kind of makes me think of this quote that I saw recently. It was, I wonder if that's what, why God hated sin because of the destruction it caused. For a moment, I felt awe for a God who loved me enough to hate the things that hurt me without hating me for causing them. So it's mm-hmm. like all of these things and all of these quote unquote rules that we have they all just flow from a relationship from a loving God who doesn't want us ever to be hurt or to be broken or to feel as if we're used or in any of those situations. And it's because we haven't been paying attention to how God actually made us. It's because we've been able to, like our culture has said our bodies don't matter. They're inconsequential. Like our culture has gone so far as to truly like adopt heresy that like our mind and our body are not connected, that you can have a male mind and a female body. Like massive heresy, huge lie. Like 
your mind, your spirit, like your body, you are all one. Like the whole of who you are can never be separated. There can be illness and there can be, um, you know, sickness within that. But the way God made it was it is one. It is together. And so um, we don't even understand how much it hurts God when we, you know, take, you know, so like you guys are really great theology here. (laughs) This is such good theology Um, because the act of, you know, maybe having sex outside of marriage. Yes, that hurts God. But the thing that probably hurt him even more was that you were willing to, if you were using contraception or if you were, you, you know, have been sterilized or if you have, if you have done something to how he made you, like he made you exactly the way he wants you. Like he loves you so much that he gave you the exact body that you're supposed to have. And if you altered and broke that and changed it in some way so that you could then go on and do something else that also will hurt you, it's like his heart was broken at that moment where you said, I don't trust that you made me the way you wanted me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. How do you respond to people who... I guess there's two questions embedded in this. When someone comes to one of Guiding Stars locations, or um, you guys call them twinkles, right? The um, locations that have like adopted. Um, yeah, the ones that are in the works are twinkles, and then the ones mm-hmm. that are in our affiliate centers. Yeah. Nice. Um, what kind of services can people expect there, and what do you do? There, this could lead us on a whole nother tangent, and <laughs> I'm happy to go there, but what do you say and do in situations that um, like modern medicine would say like, Oh, you should go on birth control for reasons that are not about like regulating your cycle. You know what I mean? For other medical reasons, it's just kind of used as whatever. Um, How do you respond to that? Yeah. So first question is what can you expect in a guiding star center? And that's a great question. And so our, um, our kind of our, our service promise to any woman coming into one of our centers is that we have four, we have four core services that are every one of our centers has. And the first one, and the first three are based on those three functions of a woman's body. So um, fertility care, there's always going to be education on how your natural fertility should work. And that also includes infertility care. If you're struggling to get pregnant, um, we work with all the different uh, methods of NFP, charting, Um, we help them to really truly understand what's happening. The second service is going to be based on gestation. So childbirth education classes. If one of our centers, we we have kind of two levels of centers. Some of our centers are fully medical licensed healthcare centers. And so those centers, you can get your prenatal care. You can, um, if you're pregnant, you can come in and get your care all the way through uh, your pregnancy. Um, In the centers that don't have a doctor full-time on site, you can do your childbirth education classes. You can meet with doulas, You can just get totally prepared to give birth. Um, And then that final body service is lactation. So we have um, lactation consultants available in all of our centers, breastfeeding classes, care for postpartum. Um, And then, you know, that also addresses things like postpartum depression, helping women, you know, adjust to motherhood, really. Um, And then the fourth area, so the first three are based on the physical body. And then that fourth service is just, it's called family life. And so that includes every one of our centers has a drop-in child watch. Uh, and that has to be there because um, just as a mom, as I started to have more kids, it, each child that you have is almost, in our current culture, it's like another barrier to getting help. So when I had to go into the doctor, you know, when I was pregnant with my fourth child, 
I had to take three toddlers with me to most appointments. And it was so embarrassing and it was so demoralizing. And the things that the nurses would say, um, it was just like, I could understand at that moment why somebody would choose to have an abortion. Like I got it. I was like, this is horrible. I hate this. I'm like lugging these children. I'm pregnant. I'm uncomfortable. Um, and so side note with that pregnancy, I actually just stopped going. I stopped, I opted out of prenatal care. Um, and I called a midwife at like 30 weeks pregnant. And I said, I'm, I'm going to give birth at home. I'm not going because <laughs> I was so sick of going to the doctor. Um, and so she came to my house and we did a home birth and it was beautiful and I loved yeah. it. Um, but that's what you can get in a guiding star center is those four core services. Um, and so then obviously our worldview on women's bodies is very different than traditional medicine in our country right now. Um, like we said, anything that alters, suppresses, or destroys a, a healthy, natural part of your body, that truly is like negligence, malpractice, and misogyny. Like that is, that is what feminism should stand against. If you're going to just take a system that's functioning and say, well, let's just shut that down. And there's like, that's not okay. That's not okay. And so somebody who um, has an actual issue happening, like, you know, maybe you have severe pain, endometriosis, um, you know, whatever is going on, we're going to actually try to get to the core of it. We're going to actually get to the root problem. We're not going to just cover it up. Um, it's important that we know what really is wrong. You can mask the symptoms. You can hide them for sure, but you didn't actually deal with the problem. The second you go off of birth control, the problem is still there. You still have you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis, whatever it is, it's still there and it's continuing. It's getting worse. It does no good not to get to the root. And so that would be um, just a short answer, but we really try to encourage everybody um, as a standard of care that you are able to bring in your chart. You know, it's really, it's really your fifth vital sign. You know, we take vitals, we check blood pressure, we check all those things. We should also say, let me see your chart you know, you're charting your fertility cycle. It should be, it is just as much an indicator of your overall health as your blood pressure. Mm, I love that. Yeah, for mm. sure. Um, we have to wrap up in a few minutes. This has been wonderful. Um, I do want to know about the book that you're writing. Would you like to tell us all about that? Oh, oh please, please pray for me. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's called Holistic Feminism and it touches on a lot of the things that we just touched on. It's definitely not written specifically for a Catholic audience. It's written more for um, women to, who um, maybe see themselves as a feminist to really look at the effects of the women's movement on the delivery of healthcare and on how women's self image, like how we feel about ourselves now as an effect of a feminist movement, you know, that's told us our bodies don't matter. And so it's trying to create and hoping that we can launch a new feminism that is, you know, John Paul II's new feminism um, that's holistic and sees us as whole. Mm -hmm. I, I love, love that. that. Yeah, yeah please that. pray for it. <laughs> it should be coming out. It, hopefully it will be available before Mother's Day this year. So good Perfect timing. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's so good too, because I feel like whenever, sometimes when I'm in conversation with women about um, birth control or all these things, it's like, the response is, no, it's because you're Catholic. That's why you don't like it. When in reality, like, no, I could be any religion and say all these things too. Yeah. Yep. 
being Catholic just gave you a, a little bit of insight as to that it might not be the best for you. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you just had a little bit of an advantage in that the church said, let's just question this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Those are some of my favorite types of books when it's like a Catholic, specifically I'm thinking of um, Matt Frad's The Porn Myth. It's like mm -hmm. a Catholic um, like influencer of sorts writing about like using their faith to inform them, but using only like science, secular philosophy and such to like deliver that message so that everyone can be open to it. And like Ava said, like, don't just shut you down be like, oh, that's Catholic. Like, of course you're pro-life, you're Catholic. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, this is one of my favorite quotes, actually. I mean, truth is truth. Um, and I think it's St. Augustine's quote that, you know, truth is a lion. Like, you don't have to defend it. Just release it and it will defend itself. Like, just deliver truth and then let it go. Yes. I so love that good. so much. Um, Eva, do you have any other questions? I guess the final question that I have is what can we do as, like, young women and young Catholic women to incorporate holistic women's health into our daily lives and to also encourage our peers to inc include it? That is such, such a good question. And I'm gonna, this is something that is probably a little uncomfortable, but be willing to challenge your healthcare provider to learn what a natural cycle should be. Be willing to hand them peer reviewed research that says, actually, you know, this is women's fertility and how it looks and works. Because we find that healthcare is actually a consumer-driven, believe it or not, it's, it's a consumer-driven industry. And when patients are saying, this is the type of healthcare I want, then providers are incentivized to learn it. Um, and when providers start learning it and start doing it, you see this whole cascade of effects where then insurance companies then are now you know, reimbursing it. And all of a sudden, it is totally legitimized as authentic healthcare. It, it is healthcare to go in and have your hormones checked for your fertility panels. That's normal. And that's where we need to get. So you guys have to just, as young women, be willing to be uncomfortable in that appointment with your provider and say, actually, I really want to use FEM, or I really want to use NAPRO technology, or I really want to use Marquette. And when they don't know what you're talking about, say, well, this is the doctor that's been doing all that research and educate them. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it takes courage for that first step, but like, I don't know, like if you hand um, over the research, like it's what you were saying, the truth, the truth can do it on its own, can stand alone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the other piece of it, ladies, is just, you know, you guys are as drivers of culture change, you can do that through challenging the systems that are in place. Um, but really it so begins with knowing your worth and just demanding, you know, that relationships with men that your worth is always, you know, dignified. Um, it's just holding the standard is holding the standard for how we should be treated in our culture. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. This has been so good. Thank you so much, Leah. Um, is there any other <laughs> advice, parting words that you would like to leave us with where people can find out more about the guiding star project and such? Yeah, please, please follow us over on social media if you can. Um, I also have my author page if you want to follow there for book details and book updates. It's just my name. Um, you'll find it. Um, I am starting. I don't know when you guys are, are sharing this, but later this month, I am going to do a four-week mini course with the book mm -hmm. content with a group of women. If, if you find my website, leahajacobson.com, you can sign up for it. And then we're just going to do like a kind of a mastermind group of women from all over the country about 
both these ideas and how to apply it to your to your life prior to Christmas before you have to go home and deal with relatives. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, definitely. And I will totally share the details on the podcast because I think a lot of our audience will be interested in that. Yeah. This It'll has be been fun. great. Be Thank you time. so much. Thank you so much to Leah and to Ava for being on this episode of the podcast. And thank you all for listening to it. Right after I hit stop record, Leah said something absolutely magical. Um, and we had a great conversation that I wanted to share quickly here, give a little recap of. We were talking about control and how that's what society presents us with mainstream healthcare. And she said, quote, every month when you start to bleed, it's a reminder from God that you are not in control. The female body is a reminder of surrender. We live out our fiat through the wholeness of our bodies, which were made good. Ava and I also reflected on the fact that there's such a push toward clean eating and holistic health, essential oils, etc. in society and media. And yet we are convinced by doctors and the same society and media that putting something in our bodies that doesn't really belong there is always just the blanket answer to all of our woes. We have a friend who always points out to her girls in youth ministry that everyone's all about whole foods and juice cleanses, etc., and then they go ahead and put plastic in their arms. The truth will defend itself. We will be back with another new episode next Monday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Starting with this episode, we are slowly expanding our Grexley podcasts to be more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing. So transcripts are available in the show notes. Um, share with any friends who might benefit from that. As always, you can find this podcast and all of the other Grexley podcasts on grexley.com, as well as our merch and Patreon page for exclusive looks from the podcasters. We have two new podcasts joining the fam on November 16th that you won't want to miss, so get pumped. If you have a guest recommendation, send it on our way at grexley.com slash to the heights in the contact form or email us directly at to the heights podcast at gmail.com. Additionally, if you have any questions for me about social justice, anything we've talked about this season or just life, send it on in for our next Ask Olivia episode, also using to the heights podcast at gmail.com. I hope you are all well during this crazy time. Talk to you next week and keep on reaching to the heights. Mm-hmm.